In fact, some of the neatest ways that I've seen to grow butternut squash is to train it up an arched trellis that you can walk under and the fruits just sort of hang through like ornaments. It's really cool. Hey, I'm Karen, and together with my husband, I spent over a decade researching and learning and building our small farm through lots of trial and error, successes and failures. I went back to school to get my degree in horticulture to help our farm business, and now I wanna pass all that knowledge on to you. Because I firmly believe that self-reliance is empowering and that everyone, whether you've got a five acre plot in the country, a half acre lot in suburbia, or a windowless room in a downtown apartment should just grow something. Hello, my gardening friends, and welcome back to the Just Grow Something podcast. This Garden Talk Tuesday, we are talking winter squash, and the name for winter squash might be a little bit misleading because it's not a squash that is grown during the winter. It's a squash that is generally eaten during the winter. The timing for planting winter squash is the same as summer squash, but the good thing about it is you actually can wait a little bit longer to plant winter squash to avoid certain bug pressures, and we'll get to that in a minute. Winter squash is an annual vegetable which represents several different squash species within the genus Cucurpidae. Cucurpita. I always have a problem with that name. Cucurpita, <laughs> which of course is the family Curcubidaceae, which includes um, all the different types of squashes. It differs from summer squash in that it is harvested and eaten in the mature stage when the seeds inside are fully matured and the skin has hardened into a tough rind versus when we harvest summer squashes like zucchinis and yellow squashes when the skin is still nice and tender and those seeds are still very small and immature in the center. So the basics of winter squash, the scientific name Cucurpita maxima, right, which is in the family Curcubitaceae. Um, it includes all types of winter squashes, pumpkins, blue hubbard, red curry, buttercup. We've also got the species Cucurpita pepo, which includes the acorn squashes and the delicata squash. Um, but subspecies underneath that name also include some of the summer squashes too. You also have Cucurpita muscata, which includes the butternut squash. And then there is the old country favorite Cushaw squash, which is Cucurpita, and I'm probably going to butcher this, but I think it's Argyrosperma. <laughs> My Latin is horrible. There are so many different sizes and shapes and colors and variations to winter squashes. They are super, super fun to grow. And I mean, they all basically fall into the category of winter squash based on whether or not they can be cured and stored long term or not. Um, winter squashes actually originated in Central and South America, but only as a cultivated species from another wild plant. And then Cushaw squash actually originated in Southern Mexico specifically. So let's talk about the cultural significance and ethnobotanical uses of winter squash. Um, just remember, these uses are cited as a historical and anthropological resource. Never ingest the parts of any plant without being absolutely positive of its effect upon the human body. Um, the thing about 
winter squash, like I said, is it's not really known in the wild in the manner that we generally see them in the garden. It seems that winter squashes, as we know them now, were developed through cultivation from a species called Cucurpita andriana. And this is a wild type of a winter squash. It's a green fruit with white stripes. It varies widely in its size and its shape and its colors. The seeds of this plant, the wild type plant, were used as a diuretic, as a poultice for burns, um, so is the pulp from the fruit, and as a way to clear internal parasites. In fact, farmers have been known to use pumpkin seeds as a natural dewormer for their livestock for this very reason. Whether or not it is truly effective remains to be seen. There is actually no scientific proof that shows that that works. Once again, causation versus correlation. But, uh, you know, feeding the pumpkins to livestock actually doesn't hurt them. So if it does help them as a side effect, then great. Uh, the dried fruits of um, winter squashes have also been used in native tribes as decoration for the men during ceremonial dances and used as vessels to hold water, similar to gourds. But its main use has always been as a food source. So nutritionally speaking, according to the USDA, winter squashes in general contain good amounts of potassium and fiber, and they are rock stars when it comes to vitamin C levels. They also have a fair amount of vitamin B6, magnesium, calcium, and iron. And Harvard University studies also show a good amount of protein and carotenoids in winter squashes. So they are a pretty healthy food source, all with only 37 calories per 100 gram serving. So essentially, cooked winter squash is a dense, filling food that is low in calories with a low glycemic index. So an all-around powerhouse. So let's talk about the cultivation of winter squash. How do we grow it? It is a warm season annual vegetable. So despite saying winter squash, it is grown during the warmer seasons. It is a vining type of a plant, generally trailing along the ground, but it can be trained to a trellis. And there, like I said, are so many varieties to choose from. Winter squash are just plain fun because there are so many types and sizes and variations. Our favorites here are butternut squash, buttercup squash, spaghetti, acorn, carnival, delicata, red curry, and all different kinds of pumpkins, which also are considered winter squashes. Jaredel, sugar pie pumpkins, Cinderella pumpkins, and the little mini pumpkins that are really just for show or display. And then of course, the great big carving pumpkins. We have a lot of fun with winter squashes out here. And as the name implies, I will eat them all winter long. My husband is less of a fan, although I have gotten him into eating delicata squash. So that, that one he will eat. But mainly the squashes around here are mostly eaten by me. Now, keep in mind, in general, cucubits do not enjoy being transplanted. Smaller specimens in the family like cucumbers and zucchini do okay transplanted so long as they have fewer than four true leaves when you do so. But winter squashes are a little bit less forgiving about being transplanted. So either direct sow them in the ground once the soil temperature has gotten above 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 16 Celsius 
Or if you do want to start them indoors yourself or purchase them as starts from a nursery, just be sure that they are less than two weeks old at the time that you transplant them and that they are not root bound. And if they already have flowers on them, they for sure are not going to adjust well to transplant. In fact, they may be stunted or go into an early senescence. They kind of think that their life cycle is just about over and they really won't produce any fruit for you. So my advice is just purchase the seeds and sow them directly into the ground or in your container. It really is the easiest way and most effective way to grow winter squash. So let's talk about growing winter squashes in the ground. Like I said, optimal germination temperature for winter squashes is at 60 degrees Fahrenheit or 16 Celsius or above, but 70 Fahrenheit or 21 Celsius is actually better. Winter squashes need full sun. They prefer a nice loamy soil, so amend with compost if you need to, and a slightly acidic to neutral pH. So a 6.0 to 7.0 pH is, is perfect. If you're concerned about the soil for, uh, fertility, where you're going to be planting them, then use a balanced fertilizer like a 10-10-10 just prior to planting and work it in about two to three inches into the soil. Generally, you can grow winter squashes one of two ways. You can either put them in hills or mounds that are about three to six feet apart and then just plant like three seeds per hill and let them vine down those hills. Or you can plant them straight in rows in the level ground about two to three feet apart and then keep your rows or your beds about three to six feet apart. Uh, in either case, just plant the seeds about an inch down and they will germinate in about a week or so if the soil temperature and the moisture levels are correct. Like I mentioned in the beginning, the good thing about winter squashes is that you don't have to get them in right away. You can wait a little bit to plant them if your plate is sort of full trying to get everything else in your garden planted in the late spring once the weather has settled, and just plant them when you get around to it. In fact, commercial growers of pumpkins actually time their plantings based on when the fall season starts and the demand for pumpkins begins. So they'll just count backwards from the first date that they want to begin selling their fall decorations, maybe, you know, September 15th. And then count backwards based on the number of days to maturity for that particular variety and then plant them then. This is also beneficial if you know the life cycle of the insect pests in your area that like to attack curcubits. If you know the squash vine borer life cycle in your area, for example, is done and over by early July, well, then you can wait to plant your winter squash until then and avoid the bug pressure while still getting a great harvest. Days to maturity for winter squashes vary from as few as 80 days for acorn squashes to as many as 125 days for certain pumpkins. So you have a little bit of, of room to play with some of this. For instance, if you just want pie pumpkins, right, in time for your Thanksgiving meal, then just count back from your first frost date to see when the latest time is that you can plant those pie pumpkins. So if you're planting an early sweet sugar pie pumpkin that mature, matures in 90 days and your average first frost is say October 20th, then you don't need to plant those until mid-July. 
the other good thing about this is that you have ample time through the spring and the early summer to grow another short season crop in the same space that you'll be planting those pumpkins. And so they'll be done by the time it's time to plant the pumpkin seeds. Or you can interplant them with another crop like corn. So if you're familiar with the three sisters method of planting, you know what I'm talking about. But if not, here's the basics. The three sisters method is one way that indigenous tribes planted their crops of maize, beans, and squash. We use part of this method in our gardens. The idea is to plant the corn, allow the corn to get a little growth to it, and then plant your pole beans at the base of the corn plants. And then next to that, plant your winter squash seeds. So as the corn grows taller, the bean plant will grow up the corn stalk as a support, fixing nitrogen into the soil as it grows. The squash plants will sprawl and cover the ground around the beans and the corn, acting as a living mulch to protect the soil from drying out and choking out weeds. All the while, the bean plants are feeding nitrogen to the corn and the squash. Some people have a lot of success with this and others not so much. I think some of it has to do with where you're growing and also the varieties that you're growing. But we we do it. We just omit the beans and just plant the winter squashes in and around our first corn planting of the season. In fact, I'm planting those seeds this week and it's always worked pretty well for us in the past. I don't do the beans because we rarely plant pole beans. Most of our green beans are bush varieties. And I generally just side dress our sweet corn with feather meal for a boost of nitrogen. Although I am considering popping some pole beans in the ground this season alongside that first batch of corn because we've had such a lack of rain the past couple of weeks. I'm concerned the corn isn't getting its usual amount of nitrogen and the beans would sort of naturally help with that. So we'll see. We have a quite a bit of corn planted out there and that's a lot of hand seeding if I'm doing the squash and I'm doing the beans. So I may just do a small patch of it and see how it goes. But just doing the corn and the squash uh, in the past has worked really, really well for us. Keep in mind, winter squashes need lots of room in an in-ground garden. These vines like to sprawl. So either be sure you've got the space allocated for the type that you're growing, or be ready to train them into specific bed areas or even up trellises. In fact, some of the neatest ways that I've seen to grow butternut squash is to train it up an arched trellis that you can walk under and the fruits just sort of hang through like ornaments. It's really cool. If you grow winter squash up trellises, you may need to give some of the heavier fruits some support so they don't break off the vine prematurely. And this is pretty easy. It can be done by making slings from old t-shirts or pantyhose or whatever you've got lying around. And keeping it up off the ground like this also helps prevent any soft spots that may be caused by excessively moist conditions. We won't be having that problem here this year, apparently. But if you're in an area that does get quite a bit of rainfall during the growing season, a nice heavy layer of mulch around the winter squashes will give the fruits a good place to lay where they're not on the wet soil. And of course, mulch always helps with water management and weed prevention. Winter squash do like an even amount of moisture. So if you're watering your garden, plan on several deep waterings per week. Don't do shallow waterings daily because this prevents the roots from going as deep as they should. 
but also don't leave the soil moist all the time. Check the root zone of the plants to see if the soil is dry and water accordingly. And if you don't irrigate like we do, we don't, um, mulch, mulch, mulch to take advantage of whatever rainfall you do get. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's not much better than looking out first thing on a sunny morning, gazing at my garden beds over a hot cup of coffee. As U.S. Marines, my husband and I drank a lot of coffee. As farmers, well, let's just say we should probably drink more water. The coffee we drink these days still has a military tie. We have freshly roasted coffee shipped to us every few weeks from Black Rifle Coffee Company. Black Rifle is a veteran-owned business, just like ours, but they serve up premium coffee and ship it around the world. When you join their coffee club, your chosen brew is roasted, packaged, and shipped free to your door on whatever schedule you choose. And with every purchase, they're giving back to military veterans and active duty, law enforcement, and first responders. Ready to check them out? Go to justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee to save 20% when you join the Black Rifle Coffee Club. No commitments. Cancel anytime. That's justgrowsomethingpodcast.com slash coffee for 20% off your coffee club subscription. So what about container growing? You can absolutely grow winter squashes in containers. In fact, I had a squirrel bury some pumpkin seeds in a little 10-inch hanging basket I had just kind of hanging around at the end of the 2019 season that sprouted in the spring of 2020. I just left those pumpkin plants in that basket just to see what would happen. And I got three little pumpkins out of it with literally no attention from me. So plants just want to grow, y'all. <laughs> now, I don't recommend a 10-inch hanging basket for your winter squashes, but most other large containers will do just fine. My friend Tammy is currently growing pumpkins in a water trough, which is perfect for pumpkins. But it doesn't even need to be something that big. Any container that has adequate soil will work just fine, even a five-gallon bucket. Although I'd recommend 10 gallons or larger for standard-sized varieties. You can, however, find dwarf versions of winter squashes that are perfectly suited for smaller spaces and can grow easily on a trellis or have a bush growing habit. One of my favorites is a little butternut variety called Honey Baby. The plant itself only gets about 24 to 36 inches tall, so it can actually be grown in a patio container. The fruit is enough for one or two servings. It's around a half a pound or so with a really good flavor. And you get like nine fruits per plant, which is great for such a small plant. There are plenty of space-saving varieties of all different kinds of winter squashes out there. So don't be afraid to try them in the smallest of spaces. Of course, since you're growing in a container, you'll need to be sure you've got the potting soil properly amended and feed the plants on a regular basis throughout the growing season. A balanced plant food, like a 10-10-10, is adequate and should be used on the schedule indicated on the package. 
And container plantings will also need to be watered regularly. Squash plants like at least one inch of water per week, more if the weather is really hot or you see the, the leaves are wilted at the end of the day. They're naturally going to wilt a little bit during the heat of the day, but after the sun goes down, they should perk up. And if they don't and they're wilting, then you may need to water more frequently. But they also don't like to be the soil to be soggy. So just check the soil at about two to four inches down in the container. And if it's dry, then water it. If it's not, then leave it until the next day and check it again. But I absolutely encourage you to try growing any, any type of winter squash um, in containers. So let's talk about pests. Um, the pests that plague winter squashes are the same as those in the rest of the curcubit family. Cucumber beetles, both the spotted and the striped ones, are known to eat on the flowers and the foliage, and they spread bacterial wilt. Uh, these will kill off the plant, and it can spread to others, so any infected plants need to be pulled from the garden immediately. Um, squash bugs, of course, are another major pest in some areas. They certainly are here. Um, they've got that piercing, sucking mouth part, and you can see the damage on the leaves when they're present. It looks like these sort of faded spots on the leaves where they've been sucking on the plant juices. The eggs of squash bugs are pretty easy to identify. Just flip over the leaves of your plant, and if you see a cluster of these copper-colored eggs in those intervenal spaces or the spaces between the veins, just scrape them off and get them out of there. Those are squash bug um, eggs. You can also see the adults. They're a bit more elongated than stink bugs, um, and the nymphs or the juveniles are pretty easy to, to recognize. If you do an internet search for squash bug, you will get a plethora of images that will help you to identify these little buggers. Unfortunately, they are super, super hard to control, so prevention is the key with these. Proper crop rotation, clearing out the garden debris at the end of the season, um, which is where they may hide and winter over because squash bugs do winter over as adults, which means as soon as it's warm enough out in the, in the spring, they will come out as adults and immediately start laying eggs. Um, so um, being vigilant and looking for them in the spring or even timing your planting so that you avoid the early wave of adults can help you keep them at bay a little bit. Unfortunately, they are super resilient and they are super prolific, so you may find that you get them no matter what, which is what happens here. So with winter squash, I just re recommend planting as late as you can to avoid some of the damage from them. Um, squash vine borers, those are another bane to winter squashes. The adult borer is actually a black and orange moth that appears in the spring and it lays its eggs at the base of curcubit vines and lays those eggs like inside the stem. The eggs will hatch inside the plant and then the larvae, um, which is this little grub, will feed on the inside of the plant until they've essentially decimated the plant by disrupting the flow of the water and the nutrients. You can usually tell the plant has been infected. You see the, the frass of the moth at the base of the plant or streaks on the plant at the, at the base of the vine. Um, and you'll see the plant begin to wilt for what seems like no reason. You can actually do a little surgery at this point and, and just slice open the vine at the base just before it enters the soil. And you can dig out the larvae and often the time the, the plant will survive, but you kind of have to catch it early enough before um, it's really kind of killed the vine off. The best way to quell this damage is again by prevention 
and planting later in the season after the adult moths are no longer out, and that can help avoid these pests altogether. Um, aphids are another pest of winter squashes. We've talked about aphids extensively before. Those are those small, soft-bodied insects with the slender, again, piercing and sucking mouth parts. They use those mouth parts to pierce the stems, the leaves, and other plant parts to suck out the fluids from the plant. Um, you can tell you've got aphids if you don't actually see the aphids because they are tiny. Um, but if you're not sure what you're looking for, you can also see, you know, some of the damage they'll cause these misshapen curling leaves, distorted or deformed flowers and fruits. They can also transmit viruses between plants and they reproduce like crazy. But the good news is they're actually fairly easily controlled. You can just blast them off the plant with sprays of water from the garden hose you can use desiccating powders like a diatomaceous earth or first Saturday lime. You can use essential oil sprays that keep them at bay. Or like I've mentioned here before and actually posted about this week on the Instagram page, you may not have to do anything other than making a, um, a hospitable place for the aphid predators like ladybugs to sort of move on in and take care of the problem for you. We've actually got that going on right now in some cucumber plants, and I posted about that over on Instagram this week if you want to take a look with some pretty little pictures to go along with it. Um, one other winter squash pest that I've not had the pleasure of dealing with is squash beetles. These sort of look like fat, more hunched-backed versions of ladybugs, but in orange. Or if you're familiar with what a potato beetle looks like, it looks like one of those only orange and not yellow. And their larvae look like these spiny yellow cucumbers or like little yellow slugs with black spikes on them. That's the best way I can describe them. Um, these guys will leave blotch marks that look sort of like window panes all over the plant leaves. They have chewing mouth parts versus that piercing sucking mouth part. So they will actually chew on the, the plant leaves and leave these holes or window panes, um, which of course can disrupt the photosynthesis that the plant needs to produce good fruit. Hand picking these guys off is an option along with sticky traps. Um, and then options with all of these pests also just include excluding them from getting to the plant to begin with by using row covers up until the point that the vines begin to flower. Row covers actually do wonders with us out here. And if you combine that with planting the crop just a little bit later, you may be able to avoid these pests altogether. So a couple of diseases that plague winter squashes, again, they're the same ones that are problems in zucchinis and yellow squashes and uh, cucumbers and other curcubits. Powdery mildew, angular leaf spot, and anthracnose are the big ones. Um, all of these can be prevented by keeping the garden as weed-free as possible, preventing splashing soil um, by you know keeping the ground covered, keeping it well mulched, Choosing plant varieties that are resistant to these diseases goes a long way toward preventing them. Sometimes the weather conditions are just ripe for contracting these diseases, though. And so keeping the leaf surface as dry as possible um, by, again, mulching really well to prevent the, the soil from splashing up onto the leaves or using um, lime to, uh, to keep it, the surfaces dry or disrupting the leaf surface pH with that lime or a spray of hydrogen peroxide and water or even milk and water. That will also help during times of really high humidity or excessive rainfall where these diseases are gonna thrive. 
bacterial wilt from those cucumber beetles I mentioned before, that's also a problem. And that beetle is the only way that that disease is spread. So once again, if you have plants that are wilting with no explanation and the others around them are perfectly fine, it is likely bacterial wilt and you need to remove that particular plant and then check for cucumber beetles to prevent the spread to your other plants. Crop rotation goes a long way toward preventing disease in your winter squashes. So don't plant cucumbers, pumpkins, squashes, or melons in the same spot for at least two to three years um, after you've planted um, a crop there. So once you've gotten past all the diseases and the pests and you've managed to get through the season and you have a beautiful harvest, uh, it looks like, of, of fruit out on your plants, how do you know when it's time to harvest your winter squash? Unlike summer squash, which is harvested when it's tender and a bit immature, winter squash is harvested when it is fully mature. So a good rule of thumb is to just let the vines die back. The leaves start to, to dry, uh, turn brown and die back. And the stem of the fruit is going to dry out and start to get tough. And the rind of the fruit is going to deepen in color and turn solid. If you can pierce the skin of your winter squash with your fingernail, it is likely not mature yet. So just sort of wait until those leaves and the vines have started to die back. And then once that happens, cut the fruit from the vine, leaving a couple of inches of stem on the fruit. Don't try to snap them off or break them off because you can absolutely damage the fruit that way. Now you can use winter squash right away, of course, but part of the idea is to hold them over through the winter to be enjoyed all season. But in order to do this, you'll need to cure the fruit once it's removed from the vine. So this is done by removing the excess moisture from the skin and sealing out fungi and bacteria that could cause it to go bad in storage. If your weather in the fall is dry, you can actually just cure it right on the vine. Literally leave it sitting out there until the entire plant is dead and the squash skin is a hard rind. And then literally go through, clip them off, and they're done. They're dry. But if you have wet weather in the fall or you have a frost coming, you need to go ahead and pull the fruit and then put it in a warm, dry location with plenty of airflow around it for about 10 days to two weeks. So the ideal temperature is around 80 to 85 degrees Fahrenheit or 27 to 29 Celsius with a relative humidity of about 80 to 85%. But do what you can with what you've got. Just don't use water to clean the skin of the squash before you cure it. Just knock the dirt off as best you can and let it sit. Um, you want it to be dry. And then if the fruit has any blemishes or bruises, don't cure those. Just use those ones right away. Now, the only exception to all of this is acorn squash. Acorn squash actually will not cure properly, and attempting to cure it could actually shorten its shelf life. So acorn squash generally only stores for about three months tops anyway, sometimes a lot shorter than that. Um, so just know that you're going to store those the way they come off the vine and eat them first. Other winter squashes, though, once they've been cured, can store for, you know, six to nine months or so. I mean, I'm generally eating my last spaghetti and butternut squashes right around the time that I'm planting the next batch in early summer. And those were harvested in September. So ours have stored for nine months with no problems. 
before putting them away to store them, you can rinse the skin once they've been, you know, hardened off, once they've been cured. Um, rinse them with a weak bleach water. It's about a half a cup of bleach to five cups of water just to sanitize the skin and eliminate the bacteria and then pat them dry um, make sure they're completely air dried and then store them in a cool, dry place. You basically want to store them in the exact opposite conditions of what you cured them in. Um, usually around 40 degrees to 55 degrees Fahrenheit or 4 to 12 Celsius with a relative humidity of about 50% um, is ideal. You want to put them on a rack with proper airflow. That's the best way to do it. If you are short on space, you need to put them into crates. That's fine. So long as there aren't too many stacked together, you can get some airflow around them and you're checking them frequently for signs of mold or any soft spots. If you see that ha any of them have any kind of signs of degradation, then pull those from storage so they don't affect the others and uh, use them right away or pitch them, toss them in the compost pile, whichever. So that's it. Um, winter squashes are a really versatile fruit. They can be used all throughout the winter as main dishes, side dishes, casseroles. Um, I hope this episode gave you the confidence to give them a try, no matter what size space you have to work with. I've also listed all kinds of resources in the show notes as well to help you in your winter squash journey. So I hope you will join me back here again for uh, my Focal Point Friday episode this week where I dig into U.S. farm subsidies, basically the history of the program, the facts and the fiction surrounding who is getting these subsidies, and whether or not I think we really still need them. You won't want to miss it. Have a great week, and I will talk to you again on Friday. You've just listened to another episode of the Just Grow Something podcast. Don't forget to download the episode after you've listened, rate and review us in your podcast player if that's an option, and follow us on Instagram at Just Grow Something Podcast. All these things help gardeners like you find me and hopefully join the Just Grow Something family. Don't forget to send in those gardening questions through a voice message at the link in the show notes or via email to grow at justgrowsomethingpodcast.com. Until next time, my gardening friends, keep on cultivating that dream garden and I will talk to you again soon.